So welcome back everybody. Welcome to the end of our second day of practice together. And let's just take a moment to, to settle together. And just notice what's happening right now for you. So this question, this wisdom question of what is, what's happening? Seeing that we're, you know, participating in different conditions, different conditions of health, different conditions of life circumstances, different times of day or night. So just really honouring the particularity of your own experience and uh, taking a moment to receive how that is. And then sensing also what might be needed as you listen this evening to these reflections, whether it's helpful for you to be looking at me or looking at the community or to just close your eyes and turn your attention inwards a little bit. Are you sitting comfortably or in a comfortable posture? So responding with compassion to how you find yourself now. And then I really want to, I'm going to share some reflections this evening and really want to reiterate what Chris said this morning about you know, the extent to which sometimes we can feel overloaded, that, we, that we're receiving more than this particular heart-mind needs or wants to digest at the moment. So again, a reminder that uh, the talk's being recorded, you can listen to it again, you don't have to take it all in. And uh, please just... Uh, use the bits that feel resonant or useful to you and uh, the rest will be stored somewhere in the psychic data bank to emerge at some future point if they're helpful. So we've been contemplating the witnessing in ways that orient us to these twin qualities of wisdom and compassion and uh, the wisdom aspect of the talk tonight is really just to um, help to uh, draw out another map, maybe an, uh, add to our ways of mapping, mapping experience. And that our path of practice really uh, begins with understanding to some extent. So understanding is the first of the factors of the, the Eightfold Path which reflects the fact that actually it's useful to kind of have a roadmap through experience or roadmaps through experience to help us uh, make sense of what's happening or ways of seeing things that are helpful for us to navigate. And one of the helpful things that the Buddha pointed out is that we, we live in a world of constant change, kind of, super evident uh, that's always been evident when we stop to notice 
uh, uh, life is a dance of conditions dancing around us. And that's not only actually the world around us, but the world of our own inner experience, our own lived experience. So not just the world, but the, the flow of experience that I've learned to call me is in a process of constant, constant change. And these changing um, systems are interacting with one another. Chris uh, quoted Martine Batchelor this morning when we were having a particular experience to just ask ourselves the question, I wonder how long this will last. I wonder how, di how many different of mind and body we've been through today. The Buddha called this uh, the experience of worldly winds, that we're constantly enlightened or unenlightened, wise or foolish, we're constantly uh, blown upon by these winds of pleasure and pain, of gain and loss, praise and blame, and fame and disrepute. And uh, also the, 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 the constant changing of, of pleasant and unpleasant feeling tones of experience that we might talk about uh, later in the retreat are also referred to as like being like winds that blow through us. And so we experience this as a kind of turbulence. Chris also used the word waves. We experience waves of emotions, of fear, of sadness, of happiness. So we are, we are sensitive organisms and these sensitive organisms are also gifted with awareness. Awareness that can recognise and respond. We recognise experience, we feel, we attend, we intend. We can discover things, we can imagine. We can create and recreate experiences. And this is a beautiful gift. But it also means that we can do this in ways that bind us and entangle us and condense the experience of suffering. And we can also do it in ways that disentangle and unbind and release. I'm going to read a little passage from Ajahn Chah, the Thai forest master who was uh, the teacher of my teacher Ajahn Sumedho and also Chris and my teachers Kudisaro and Tanisara. It says, we contemplate happiness and unhappiness as uncertain and impermanent and understand that all the various feelings are not lasting and not to be clung to. We see things in this way because there's wisdom. We understand that things are this way according to their own nature. If we have this kind of understanding, it's like taking hold of one strand of a rope which makes a knot. If we pull it in the right direction, 
the knot will loosen and begin to untangle. It'll no longer be so tight and tense. This is similar to understanding that things don't have to be the way they've always been. Before, we felt that things always had to be a certain way. And in so doing, we pulled the knot tighter and tighter. This tightness is suffering. Living that way is very tense. So we loosen the knot a little and relax. Why do we loosen it? Because it's tight. If we don't cling to it, then we can loosen it. It's not a condition that must always be that way. So there's, there's an interesting uh, etymology behind the word Nibbana, um, which is often translated as enlightenment or awakening. Nibbana actually means to unbind or unbinding. Also, we can think of it as the process of awakening from a kind of dream or a trance. David Loy, who's a Zen Buddhist teacher, speaks of delusion as being awareness stuck in attention traps. And enlightenment is what liberates awareness. So, Chris this morning spoke about the hindrances, which is a very, very helpful list of mental factors. And hindrances are movements or activities of the mind that actually bind us, that bind awareness. These movements of craving, of ill will, of dullness and sleepiness, of restlessness and worry and doubt, which they, they deepen that sense of not seeing clearly, that sense of being lost or being stuck. And they also increase the sense of fearfulness that uh, life is something fearful or our experience of life becomes one of fearfulness. But there are many other mental factors that actually have the opposite effect that start to free the mind and start to liberate awareness that bring the ability to see more clearly and the potential for feeling a sense of confidence and empowerment and qualities that are intrinsically healing and cooling, cooling of the fevers of greed and hatred and delusion. And there's a way that the reason that we come on retreat is to cultivate these qualities. This is why we come to practice. So we talk about these, the qualities that I want to talk about are the awakening factors. We talk about hindrances and awakening factors as factors or mind states. And I'm, I'm beginning to, to find that word really inadequate because this, the, the idea of a state or a factor just sounds like something kind of inert and static. And I see them more as almost like 
gestures, you know, in the Qigong, we were kind of doing physically embodying gestures. And our mind also, our hearts and minds also make gestures. And there are gestures that flow in a certain direction, in the direction of contraction and stuckness. And then there are gestures that actually flow in the direction of opening and of freedom. And so I really love and value this practice, this, this emphasis that we're placing on grounding, uh, that, we, that we create and the, the sense of slowing down and settling down and calming down and that a safe direction of movement is downwards. But that also enables a movement upwards. We, so we talk about waking up, lightening up. We can both trust our heaviness and we can enlighten ourselves in the process. So wisdom then might ask you in any moment or ask us in any moment, what am I doing? Am I binding myself? Am I practicing binding or am I practicing unbinding? Am I doing something that moves, moves me towards fearfulness or towards fearlessness? What gestures and movements of the mind give birth to greed or hatred or delusion? And what give birth to wisdom or compassion? So this afternoon we did a, a meta meditation. And uh, this is one of the ways that we, one of the skillful gestures of mind that give birth to compassion and to freedom. And we'll probably talk more about the other um, heart qualities of the Brahma Viharas over the next few days. But tonight I want to focus on the list of, list of qualities or gestures of mind that are known as the awakening factors. And this is a, a list that's possibly less familiar to people than the five hindrances. The five hindrances tends to be the first list that anyone learns in Buddhism, except perhaps the Four Noble Truths, because they are so important and so prevalent. But I think we should give as much importance to the list of the awakening factors. And there, there are seven of them, so they're kind of a, a heavier list than the hindrances. You put them on a weighing scales. And they are uh, mindfulness, investigation, energy or persistence, rapture or joy, tranquility, samadhi, which Chris talked so beautifully about last night, and equanimity. And I will, I will post a little list of these things that I'm pulling together in the, in the notice board sometime in the next day or so. So uh, again, that's a, another way that you can kind of collect this info. So just let, the, let this, more let this just uh, flow through your heart mind this evening and don't worry too much about retaining it all. So...
Chris this morning was was uh, speaking of how the hindrances when or difficult mind states, when we approach them with mindfulness, they actually become the path rather than seeing them as obstacles to the path. They can become the path. And when we practice this practice of grain, of grounding, of recognizing, of allowing, of investigating, of non-identification, when we practice my little PEP acronym of presence, of ease, and of possibility, we're already activating these awakening factors. And so I want to bring them into awareness. And the, the, the Satipatthana Sutta, the teachings on mindfulness, ask us to be as mindful of them as we are of the hindrances. There is an important list in that teaching on mindfulness, as, are the list, as is the list of the hindrances. So I'm just going to, for this evening, just spend a little bit of time unpacking them in a bit more detail. And one of the um, discoveries that's really given me pleasure in the last year is uh, a list of uh, prompts for these seven hindrances uh, that come from Gil Fronstall, a very wonderful teacher in California. Uh, he has a, a very simple word as a kind of reminder or a, an orientation for each of the hindrances. And I will, I will, I mean, each of the awakening factors, and I will put this on your notice board for you also. So the first awakening factor is actually mindfulness itself. So if we're mindful of the fact that we're mindful, we're already mindful of an awakening factor. We're already in the territory of awakening. And mindfulness, of course, there's many, many nuances of what exactly is mindfulness. And one could, you know, spend a whole week just arguing about or exploring what mindfulness is. But for this purpose, I'd just say it's good enough to say remembering the present moment. Remembering to come into presence. And Gill's prompt for the mindfulness awakening factor is the word here. Uh, remember, I asked you the question, where am I? I'm here. And then looking at, well, what tells me I'm here? When we come to our senses, we're here. When we feel the touch of our feet on the ground or our bottom on the seat, we're here. When we're in touch with the sounds around us, when we're aware that we're seeing, we're here. Even when the mind is busy with thinking, if we're aware that we're thinking, we're here. To relate to our thoughts as thoughts, rather than being lost in their content, we're here. When we practice grounding, this G of the grain, we're doing here. Mindfulness is coming online. Mm -hmm. 
So this is the first step into the awakening factors and it's available to us in any moment, no matter what's going on. And then it kind of naturally, the, the awakening factors kind of flow into one another. They emerge from one another, although they're not linear and they don't have to be experienced or cultivated in sequence, but there is a way in which they, they emerge from one another. So when we, when we are here, we kind of tend to ask ourselves, well, what's happening? So the second awakening factor is investigation called Dharma Vichaya, investigation of dharmas. So looking at things maybe with, through our dharma lenses. What's happening? So again, this is already there in that grain acronym of investigation. And Gill's prompt for investigation is just the question, what? So here, what? And he comes from a Zen background. And of course, in Zen, they make an excellent use of this questioning attitude of mind. So one can spend many years with the question, what is this? What other such questions? What is happening? And it's not really a question that wants just a purely intellectual answer, is it? It's like, we ask ourselves, what's happening right now? Can you feel the question? Can you feel what it's like to question? Don't know if you're, if you're a visual type of person like I am. If I just see a question mark, it's like my inner ears prick up. Like, oh, I wonder what this is, where this is going. So this kind of investigation, I would say, is like feeling the question and then feeling what responses there might be. Awakening the attitude of curiosity. So this might be the investigating of rain or grain or the rec also there's an element of the recognizing. And we're just opening up to possibility and holding this attitude of open-minded curiosity. And that feels, for me, there's a very different feeling from the experience of doubt, which is a, a hindrance. Doubt is kind of um, often a vacillation between things like I, the mind is demanding some kind of certainty that it can't find. Whereas curiosity or investigation or just being able to hold that question of what. It's like it's, it's an onward leading question. It opens, it unbinds, it unknows. It doesn't uh, collapse us into a place of disempowerment. One of the things that Ajahn Chah used almost as a mantra was, it's not, it's not certain, this is not certain. All knowing that we have is actually provisional, it can change. And so being able to hold this attitude of curiosity or of wondering, 
this is onward leading okay so here and what and then the third the third factor the third gesture of the mind is viria or often translated as energy or effort uh, but really the sense of the willingness to be with the experience that is here persistence courage and uh, the prompt for this is this so here what this and when we when we just sense okay so what's here now it's like this we're in contact with our experience without necessarily having to figure it all out so it's almost like i'm palpating my experience with my attention so yes there may be a concept that comes and the concepts may be useful to get a, a handle on things but actually isn't your present moment experience actually beyond description you know description is helpful it's a partial truth but it's it's almost impossible to entirely encapsulate our experience in a verbal description so Ajahn Sumedho used to say often say it's like this you know pointing the attention to an experience like doubt or like worry oh it's like this this is how it feels and it, it may surely have a, a recognizable pattern to it, but each experience is going to be slightly different in some way from the one before. And as we do that, as we stay with an experience, like recognizing it's like this, we learn, we, we can learn from it. So right now, for example, I'm actually uh, something's going on where I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling an experience of being blamed and I'm just noticing what comes up in me in response to feeling blamed what and and one can see well what what keeps uh, the hindrances around that in place what perceptions sustain that so I can become defensive I can become you know I can start trying to justify myself or go on the counter-attack or can also start to collapse and feel confused or ashamed or I can just know ouch feeling blamed feels like this and it activates these particular patterns and this is just what's happening right now and if I can I can sustain some kind of sense of interest in that and reflect on it skillfully so you know nobody is ever free from the experience of praise and blame even the buddha was blamed um, time and again and so rather than feeding feeding the reactive responses to that situation how can i feed or support the awakening factors to be present to arise and one of the important things to me is to know what I really value and that I value these qualities more than being right. So 
I don't know what which wit it was who said the you know do you want to be right or do you want to be happy do you want to be right or do you want to be free when I really think about it I value my freedom and well-being more than I do about winning every argument that I find myself in and if I can uh, relax into that sense of ease and uh, resourcefulness, then I'm more also more able to take in and allow the other person's point of view and not to lose my goodwill towards the other person. So we, we've also talked about allowing the awareness of the body to be very spacious and we need to allow the awareness of our mind states be same, to let the awareness that knows the mind and the mind's contents to be spacious. So we can let these awakening factors start to um, breathe through and dissolve and penetrate uh, more obstructive states of mind. My Qigong teacher said, said something that kind of I found quite helpful the other day, he said, uh, you know, worrying is a meditation. You know, we can practice worrying meditation. Whatever we are doing, whatever gesture we're making repeatedly with the mind, that's the meditation that we're developing. So I can, I can endlessly practice worrying meditation or I can make this skillful move of actually recognizing worry happening, mindfully knowing worry, and then cultivating this quality of mindfulness, actually appreciating the mindfulness that's present. So recognize and own and amplify and absorb the skillful mind states that are already here. Recognize these, these movements of path activity in the mind and the heart and the body system and begin to make the difficulties into the path. So I've said mindfulness, the prompt is here. Investigation, what? Persistence, courage, energy, virya, prompt is this. And the next quality that arises is the quality of pity, rapture or enjoyment. And Gill's prompt for this is the word yes. And this may be challenging because we don't always want to say yes to what's here, especially when so it's something difficult. So the way I understand this is that it's finding our yes to this moment of aliveness. It's not saying yes to a particular circumstance that maybe, you know, there's something that we could do to address or to change. But it's yes to this moment that's actually here yes to this moment of aliveness without having to either deny or suppress what's here. 
So this is harder because it, it requires some degree of disentanglement from what's going on, from whatever mind energy is present. And Chris said something this morning that's really, really critical to uh, uh, kind of being able to find traction with this practice is when we when we begin to recognize that enjoyment and and peace can coexist with difficulty even with difficult thoughts and feelings that our experience isn't one lump of stuff and check it out in our own experience like right now in this this moment i can notice you know there are various various elements of my experience that i would say are uh, unpleasant just uh, got a slight slight headache which is probably due from due to eye strain from the screen and uh, the noise of my fridge is annoying me and I wish I'd turned it off so that it wasn't there in the background for my Dharma talk. And I could really go down a rabbit hole with either of those things, but actually yeah, I can also feel uh, the softness of the carpet underneath me, the sense of steadiness in my body actually the pleasure of sharing things that feel valuable and joyful to me with all of you. Gratitude for this opportunity of being alive and being in a safe enough environment. And I can kind of choose where I put my attention and uh, gravitate towards the experience of enjoyment and contentment and the saying yes to, okay, the fullness of this moment like this with all its mixture of pleasure and pain. I just ask myself, what is there in this moment that can, that is being or would be enjoyed? And we've been practicing enjoyment. Enjoyment is a practice. This prayer of thank you. So this this yes to the present moment could be anywhere from just the the simple allowing, allowing of what's here, non-contention with what's here, all the way to a, a rapturous, full-hearted yes. We can tune in to learn to cultivate this quality of enjoyment, of contentment. And uh, just what, it, what is it like to breathe in and out with the mantra of yes? That was something I was playing with in my meditation this morning in anticipation of doing this talk. You might try that for yourself sometime. When you feel that that's that when your your situation has you feeling that that's accessible. So, 
The next uh, awakening factor is the quality of tranquility, which actually can be a fruit of happiness or joy. The Buddha repeatedly said that when the mind is happy, it becomes peaceful. It's much easier to access peacefulness or calm from a happy mind than from an agitated mind. And so Gill's prompt for this word is the word relax. That may, may or may not be a word that appeals to you. So ease is another possibility. So this the way in which we can melt, practice melting our resistances to things, softening. And the body is a big ally in this. You know, we can learn to find some softness and tranquility actually through the body. Images help me. So the, for some reason, the word tranquility, I associate with water, the image of water. Can we uh, allow ourselves to become as fluid as water? And to just also recognize, although I said these qualities grow out of each other, you don't have to wait for when you can entirely say yes to the moment's experience to start to soften, to start to relax. We just grow, grow whichever peace is available to us in the moment. And then from relaxation or tranquility, the sixth quality, the sixth of the seven factors is samadhi, composure. This uh, unification, composing, cohering of the mind. And uh, it offers the word steady, steady. So can we stabilize? in this place of more relaxation and more acceptance. And samadhi comes, as, as Chris was saying, really from relaxation and enjoyment. Yes, from continuity of mindfulness, but also um, through relaxation. And then the last of the factors is the factor of equanimity. we can use the prompt, it's okay, it's okay. This is one I'm, I'm still working on that. I, I, I like the word peace, I like the word peace. And the peace of equanimity is an awake and responsive peace. One of equipoise, so equanimity, equi, is like balance, equipoise or perspective. And this you could say, so this is, you know, me drawing my own analogies here or my own connect, making my own connections, that the N of the RAIN or GRAIN acronym, non-identification, actually takes us towards this space of equanimity, of perspective, The N actually sometimes in the GRAIN acronym is also offered as uh, standing for nurturing or nourishing. And uh, 
I like also that possibility to have the sense that that possibility is included within the idea of equanimity. So we've been looking at uh, Kuan Yin on, on my shrine and Kuan Yin sitting in this what's known as the royal pose where one leg is, is down ready to leap into action to come to the aid of living beings, of suffering beings. So she's there to uh, nurture and nourish but she's also poised and balanced, ready to move in any direction. Uh, she listens to the world, to the sounds of the world at ease, at ease. And equanimity I see as um, keeping the heart open, the capacity to keep the heart open, open to different perspectives and experiences which we're all really, really being asked to do in a, the most unprecedented way in my lifetime at the moment. The, the changes that are happening around us are happening so quickly. And uh, in a very beautiful way, in many ways, there are so many voices that are finally being heard that have not really been heard in the in the general public discourse before. You know, I can't claim to listen to a broad range of media, but even just on Radio 4, so I'm outing myself as this is what I tend to listen to, but the, the range of different voices whose worldviews I've been exposed to through that in the last three months, I think is, is unprecedented to just try on different, recognize uh, different predicaments that people find themselves in and open one's heart to that and actually sometimes have it challenge my sense of, um, my senses of uh, my views necessarily being the right ones, my perspectives being the right ones. Also in the, the predicament of lockdown in my own family and in other families, maybe you're having to suddenly accommodate, dance around you know, the, the needs and the views of a, a teenage daughter and an 80-year-old mother or something, and somehow that's all got to be fitted together in how you dance with life, or whatever your particular you know, circumstance is. So equanimity really offers us vast potential for um, liberating our unconscious assumptions and waking us up from indifference as well. Okay, so these, these are, this is the list of the seven awakening factors. Mindfulness, for which I have the prompt here. Investigation what, energy or persistence, this, rapture or uh, joy, yes, tranquility, relax, samadhi, steady, equanimity, it's okay, or peace. You don't have to take these on, you can find your own. 
and I'll I'll come back to them in the in the meditation practice tomorrow morning, so we we can delve a bit more into this. So just uh, to to end by also saying how when we cultivate our our sensitivity to the changing, flowing nature of experience, uh, we can find more a sense of a spaciousness around these different energies that flow through the mind and the heart. And look at what actually supports spaciousness in the mind and the heart. Can we see these different, these both these hindrances and these awakening factors coming and going in the mind and begin to take refuge in the awareness that actually sees these energies coming, going, coming and going in the mind. And if we if we see and cultivate and make much of and develop these factors of awakening, they will take us in the direction of disentanglement and unbinding. So we can become uh, the tree that sways in the wind rather than the leaf that gets blown everywhere by the wind. And I'm just going to close with a a little reading from Ajahn Chah, another image he had from a book of um, similes that he used. The screw. If you see clearly the truth through meditation, then suffering will become unwound, just like a screw. When you unwind a screw, it withdraws. It's not tightly fixed as when you screw it clockwise. The mind withdraws like this. It lets go. It relinquishes. It's not tightly bound within good and evil, within possessions, praise and blame, happiness or suffering. If we don't know the truth, it's like tightening the screw all the time. You screw it down until it crushes you and you suffer over everything. When you unwind out of all that, you become free and at peace. So let's just pause for a moment together. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.